Alrighty, we're going to head right into it then. If you want to turn back to Proverbs 1, we're in Proverbs again tonight. Proverbs chapter 1. Hear what the Lord has to say to us tonight. Alrighty, so we're going to pick up here in verse 20 and read through the end of the chapter. And the title of the message is Wisdom's Appeal, Warning, and End. And if you take the first letter of those words, it comes out to all. And that's where it'll leave you after you're reading the rest of this. So beginning in verse 20 with uh, Proverbs 1, it says, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I have, but because I have called, and you refused. I've stretched out my hand, and no one regarded, because you disdained all my counsel, and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. And when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies, for the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. And Father, I ask you, Lord, for your presence to be here with us, and ask you to give us ears to hear and hearts to hear what you have to say. I ask you to help me, Lord, to speak the truth in love, and that we all will receive this as a word from the Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name. Alrighty. So we said before that, you know, Proverbs themselves, the actual Proverbs, they don't begin until chapter 10. And they begin by saying, if you read chapter 10, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. So you might ask yourself, well then, why didn't we just start in chapter 10? Well, I'm asking you, do you start any book in chapter 10? I mean, maybe some of you guys do, but generally you don't, right? So here's the thing. We just jumped into the Proverbs themselves without these first nine introductory chapters. It really, what would make it any different than poor Richard's Almanac or Benjamin Franklin's wisdom? I mean, really, this is kind of setting the stage. We, un we need through these nine chapters, we understand how grave the importance of wisdom is. God's showing us that it's literally, and he says it repeatedly, it's a matter of life and death. So this isn't just man's opinion, this isn't just some man's wise sayings, but this is this divinely inspired wisdom that was given to Solomon and others. And here's the thing, it will enable us to make it to the end in a world that we live in, especially now, that's filled with subtle de deceptions and allurements to do evil and seductions trying to get us off the path of holiness, the way of holiness. That's what this world's filled with, and this is where... Um, Proverbs is going to help us stay on the path. Now, here's the thing. People, you know, the section I'm dealing with tonight, it's hard. It's a hard message. But, you know, it's that that keeps us on the path. You get away from it. You never hear messages on it. You never go to church. 
or you go to a church that never preaches, you don't realize how hearing the word that whatever it keeps you in line more than you really realize. And we need we need the full word of God. We really do. So here's the thing, and here's why we are not born, in case you didn't know it, with a godly character. And we need to see how difficult it is to develop it. I mean, God says the, the righteous will scarcely be saved, is what he says. And so there are many voices that are calling us off the path of holiness, and especially now in this world. And these Proverbs, and what we're hearing here, especially in these first nine chapters, are designed to help us recognize these voices, how to use discernment, see where they're leading us. What will my end be, he's saying here, if you follow these voices, here's Here's this gang over here we just read about last time in in chapter 1, verses 9 through 19, 8 through 19. And then here's wisdom calling. And they're both calling. They're both pleading with you to come. And I'm saying it's important who we will follow, where the end will take us in these voices. So the first nine chapters, like I said, there's nine speeches given. They're primarily, all of Proverbs is directed to adolescents, to youth, to people about the age that was younger back then that are getting ready to marry, because now a lot of guys don't marry till they're in the 30s and 40s. But this would be more somebody in puberty, adolescence. It's written seven of the nine messages, speeches, discourses, whatever you want to say, are given as a father would talk to a son. Two of them come from wisdom and she's personified as Lady Wisdom, as a woman. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. The first of these two appeals from Lady Wisdom are, are here in verses 20 to 33. Now listen, what she has to say is primarily, for the most part, it's negative in the sense that it's a warning with dire results if not heeded. And so what she's given here, what she's declaring is what's known as the law of Lex Talionis. You say, what is that? That is the law of retaliation. Otherwise known, you'll know it this way as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, strict justice. It's not injustice, but there's no mercy. It's strict justice. And so, for instance, God says in verse 24, look what he says. He says, because I have called and you refused, I've stretched out my hand. And no one regarded while the strict justice is then seen. The corresponding punishment is in verse 28. I called. God said, you didn't want to hear. And he says in verse 28, then they will call on me. What does he say? I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Now, let me ask you, is that fair? It's fair and it's just. And it's quiet in here because I think people don't think it is. It is fair. He's saying, I stretched forth my hand and I called and you didn't want anything to do with me. He says, so now that you're doing that to me, it's just the law of retribution. And that's the way it's going to be for some people. That's what they'll get is justice. Some will get justice. But here's the question I want to ask is why? Why is she coming on this strong? Especially we're just into chapter one. You think she'd want to encourage everybody to keep listening, but she really is. Why she come on that strong? Because everybody likes things to be positive, don't they? I do like things to be positive. But here's the thing. What she's saying comes off of what was just said off the heels of this peer pressure and what this what they're saying this gang is trying to get you into. In verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, and we said before, what's going to keep that from happening? 
Because she's telling us here, don't follow them. Because these sinners are the simple, the scorners, and the fools that she talks about there in verse 22. You say, if you follow those guys, it's disaster. That's what she's trying to tell us. And the other thing is, what's the primary theme of chapter 1? And I would say the entire book of Proverbs. Where's it found? Does anyone know? Verse 7. You're all looking at me. I'm just giving you a quick little test there. Verse 7. This is the theme of the entire book, and especially this chapter. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but, it says in verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's the theme. And this speech here, if it's taken to heart, it will definitely put the fear of the Lord in you. If you listen to what it says, because verses 8 to 33, it takes that verse 7, it gives a full exposition or opens up what it means by the fear of the Lord. And also where it says there, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, it shows you the end of that. So it's basically opening up verse 7. That's what we're getting here in these verses. So I want to look at this section under three headings. And the first one is wisdom's appeal. That's the A, appeal, verses 20 to 23. The second heading is wisdom's warning, and that's verses 24 to 31. And wisdom's end, verses 32 to 33. A-W-E-all. And so we begin and look at in verse 20 to 23, wisdom's appeal. And it says, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses and at the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. So, you know, the father's talk that we looked at last week to his son in verses 8 to 19, it gives you more the idea, I would say, like as a fireside chat, you know, where a quiet talk at home, just you and your son, or, you know, you're out on the banks of the Jordan River fishing alone and you're going to have a talk. But what we get into here with this lady wisdom, that that is not her approach at all. This is not a private conversation. She's out in public. It says in the streets, in the marketplace, at the gates of the city. And that would be the equivalent of today. She's at Kroger. She's at Walmart. She's at the soccer game, the high school graduation, the outlet mall, construction sites, in the business community. So In other words, what it's saying here is she is everywhere that people are gathered for everyday life. That's where she's at, and that's where she's calling. And for a lady of the Bible, she is not what I would call meek and gentle, the way she's presented. So she's not like Abigail, who was a woman of wisdom. When you know She came to give her wisdom to David when he was going to destroy Nabal and her and the whole family. She came to him, David, and it said she fell on her face. And kept asking David to forgive her for speaking so brashly. You know, she said, please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. That's not the way it is here. That's not what we have with Lady Wisdom in verses 20 to 21. It says that she doesn't speak quietly. It says she calls aloud. It says she raises her voice and cries out. It's basically, she's, you know, you think if you've been to a marketplace, (laughs) I've been over to Israel and Jerusalem in that marketplace, it's a lot of noise, it's a lot of people, and you've got a lot of Arabs and Jews dickering back and forth. To call aloud above that, you've got to really raise your voice. And that's what she's doing here. That's what it says she did, because she wants to be heard. And it's an urgent appeal. 
and she's warning, she's imploring, she's demanding, she's making appeals. <laughs> That's what this is all about. So she doesn't act like a Southern belle. <laughs> she's shouting at the top of her lungs. Like one commentator said, Lady Wisdom is no gentle persuader. She shouts, pleads, scolds, reasons, threatens, warns, and even laughs or mocks. Pulpit bashing and hellfire preaching if there ever were. That's what she's doing. All quite unladylike and nowadays quite unfashionable, even frowned upon. In other words, what we're trying to say is she's no wallflower sitting there, right? And But here, that's the point of these first few verses, these first three verses, is everybody notices. You have a woman preaching in the streets, and that would not go unnoticed, whether back then or even today. So, you know, William Booth founded the Foundation Army, started the Foundation Army, and he had a wife. Her name was Catherine, and she was a fireball. She was. So he didn't think it was right and I would agree with him, for a woman to preach. And she disagreed. And so they'd get out on the streets and they'd get crowds gathered around and she just kept insisting that she could preach. And so one time he just, all right, go ahead. And she started preaching and she never stopped. But she is there. She's like this lady, wasn't She's out on the streets of London, the busy streets of London, raising her voices for people to repent. And let me ask you, do you think people noticed that? That here's this woman out here preaching much more than a street preacher. Sometimes they'll just ignore that, but not a woman doing it. And they didn't. It, it created a great upheaval. Crowds would gather around and it was in the news press and the press. Everybody noticed and everybody heard the message. And that is the point of these verses, not whether a woman should preach or not. But the point is, she's out raising her voice. She's a woman in the streets. So everyone's going to notice and everybody's going to hear her. And that's the point, because what is the most common excuse you'll hear when someone does something wrong or falls into trouble? And especially this is being written to teenagers when it's a teenager. What do you hear? Oh, I didn't know it was wrong. I didn't know what I was doing. I shouldn't do that. I was ignorant. And God's saying, that's not going to work with me. That's what he's telling us here. He's saying, I didn't hide wisdom in the basement and lock the door. Or you don't have to climb my Mount Everest and find some little yogi with his legs crossed up there to get wisdom from above. He's saying, that's not the way it is. He says, on the contrary, he's saying, wisdom has been roaming the streets, calling out, raising her voice, begging to be heard. And so the knowledge and wisdom from God of right and wrong, well, I used, used to be able to say they're sitting on your lap like I'm seeing some people, but now it's probably in your palm, which <laughs> you can flip it with your thumb, right? But I'll, let me say it's sitting on your lap. But there it is, open, pleading, waiting to be read and followed by all. So here's the thing. God's not holding back anything, is he? As far as it's, he's not holding back a thing, it's just the opposite of that. That's the point of Lady Wisdom calling out, crying out. He wants to be heard. He wants his wisdom to be heard. And here's the thing. What do we have going on? It's been preached from this pulpit, the Word of God, the wisdom of God by many men in different styles. But the truth and wisdom of God has gone forth, hasn't it? 
So it's just like Jesus. He taught openly in the temple, in homes. He taught to crowds at the seashore, in fields. And he didn't say anything in secret, did he? It says in John 18, 20, Jesus said, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. He said, and in secret, I have said nothing. Now, we preach here every Wednesday and Sunday, and our doors are not closed to the public. Somebody came in or I had somebody get on me one time. Well, no, we're not inviting. This is not an evangelistic center. This is a meeting of the saints. But if somebody came in off the streets, and we have had that happen, I don't go and ask them to leave, no matter how they're dressed or what they look like. They're here to hear the truth. And if they want to keep coming and join, and they're qualified, we're glad to have them, aren't we? We're not hiding anything as far as that goes. Preach in prison, go in prison, anybody can come in that prison, those prison chapel services. And we have them come, and we sometimes have them, unlike here, they will get up in the middle of sometimes when you're speaking and just walk out if they don't like what you're saying. Doesn't happen often, but it's happened. And so that's the thing, right? On the streets, we've had people go out from here witnessing preaching the gospel, and it should be going on. We're saying wisdom is declared in the marketplace and all these public places. That should be going on as we, as this church goes forth into the public places we're at. So wisdom shouldn't be hidden. We shouldn't be having our light shine, and, and that's what's being said here. You know, we even have live streaming, and who knows who's watching that. <laughs> so here's the thing. What we're trying to say is God's wisdom in the gospel is going forth for anyone that's interested. It's not hidden. Matthew 10, 27, Jesus said this, what you hear in your ear, he told the disciples, preach on the housetop. And that's what's going on here. So then you look at verse 22. Here's what she says. Here's the words she speaks. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. And I think there's a lot in that how long that's being said there. So I think you kind of hear this tone of exasperation. It's like, how long, how many times do I have to tell you to do what I say? Because I don't want to have to deal with you harshly. I kind of hear that in the how long. But here's the thing. It's just like she's saying, no matter how many times I say it, you don't seem to get it. And in a way, it seems hopeless, but yet it's still urgent. That's why she's crying out, raising her voice. You know, and it's like she's speaking to this teenage boy that, hey, my teenage son, wisdom saying, you're past the age of accountability. You're no longer a five or four or three or two year old that doesn't really you know, not really in a sense accountable. You are past the age of accountability at that stage. And you haven't made a commitment or a decision to follow the Lord yet. How long, wisdom is saying, will you love simplicity? And simple doesn't mean simple-minded. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has everything to do with moral choices. Because the simple he's talking about here are the gullible what they have, and the reason they're that way, is they have a strong desire to remain uncommitted. They're not committed. That's the problem. And they want to experience the world. And boy, have I seen this with the youth. Oh, serve the Lord and stick and serve the Lord. Oh, no, I've got to experience the world, its pleasures, sex, unbridled passion, and wanderlust. Wanderlust. 
We want to remain uncommitted. It's easy to remain uncommitted, isn't it? Well, they're not necessarily speaking against the Lord. They'll say, well, we know it's right. But they're uncommitted because here's the thing. A person like that knows once we submit to the fear of the Lord, guess what happens? All this big, narrow range of things you can do gets narrowed down to the narrow path. And that doesn't look like much fun. So I'm going to stay naive, gullible, uncommitted, open to everything. And that's what he's talking about here. And so that warning goes from being gullible, uncommitted, to being a scorner. That's the next stage, someone who mocks and ridicules the truth and laws of Christ. And you've met scorners out there in the world. I've met plenty of them, right? So there's usually like these aggressive, self-confident, self-made men or women, and they're successful a lot of times, but God is not in any of their thoughts. And the next stage is a fool. And a fool is who? That is just somebody that knows it all. They think they know everything. Verse 22, they don't, they don't need anything. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? You scorners delight in scorning. And fools, they hate knowledge. They won't listen. Look at, back in verse 7 of chapter 1. He says, fools, they despise wisdom and instruction. Won't listen. Don't think they need it. So he's saying that's the stages of progression there. You go from being gullible to a scorner to a fool. Simple though, he's, she's mainly pleading to them. They haven't gone that far yet. They don't know what they're living for a lot of times. The gullible, they don't. They're youth that just kind of go with the crowd. And they may be even questioning what they're doing at that stage. I don't know. But the plea is in verse 23. What is the plea? To turn, turn at my rebuke. And God is telling the simple, and not just them, he's also still talking to the scorners and the fools. When he's saying that in that turn, turn at my rebuke, surely I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you because I've called and you've refused. But he's wanting them to turn. That's what he's saying to them through that. So he desires their conversion. That's the whole point of this, isn't it? He doesn't desire the ruin, and neither does Solomon. So he's not happy with the way they're acting. He's not complimenting him on the way they are. <laughs> he's calling them gullible, scorners, and fools. He's not happy with the way, the way they're acting, but he's saying, if you'll just turn to me, turn back to me, he's saying, I'll be gracious. Isn't it? I mean, God is so generous, and he makes this tender appeal. That's just the way he is. And so if you'll put something there, and I want us to look at, Ezekiel 18, if you would turn back to Ezekiel 18 and we'll come back to Proverbs 1. So in Ezekiel 18, beginning in verse 25, listen, this is, this is the heart of God speaking here. Beginning in verse 25, he says, Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. And he says, Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way which is fair, and your ways which are not fair. So he says, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. But again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he does what? He preserves himself alive. Why? And here's the plea to the youth, because he considers Considers his end is what he's saying and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Well, Israel doesn't like that. The house of Israel says the way of the Lord's not fair. 
O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent. Turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. Get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, he says it probably for the fourth or fifth time, turn and do what? And live. That's the heart of God. I mean, you're sitting out here tonight unsaved, unrepentant. There's, you couldn't hear a more tender plea and a more generous offer than we just read in both places, right? So we move on. The second thing we have is we've had wisdom's um, appeal, and now we have wisdom's warning in verses 24 to 30. And this section right here is a very solemn section of Scripture. I think it's probably one of the most solemn in the Bible, honestly. I would use this a lot of times in prison to appeal to the sinners in prison to turn. And I said, it's like a sandwich. You have God's gracious offer at the beginning and the end if you'll just turn to him. But here's what you've got to understand you're facing if you don't and if you refuse. Because that's what it is. So the first thing, though, I want to see in this when we look at verses 24 and 25 is God always warns. Usually he warns repeatedly before he sends judgment. He always warns. He warned Nineveh. He didn't just send judgment on them. They were worthy of it. But he warned them, didn't he? He didn't tell them what to do. It was just in there that if they would repent, it's just understood from a prophet. If a person repents when judgment's pronounced, God will relent from his judgment, which is what he did. Had mercy on him. But that's what he does. Look what it says in verse 24. He says, because I've called, but he has called and you refuse. I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded. So once again, if you would, please just look at uh, Jeremiah. I want to look at two places in Jeremiah to show you that God will repeatedly warn before he judges. That's for all of us. So Jeremiah 32, 33. And look what it says there. Jeremiah 32, 33. And the prophet, there's a bunch of places in Jeremiah that say basically the same thing. And Jeremiah 32, 33 says, they have turned to me the back, turned their back, not the face, though I did what? Taught them. I mean, that's what we have here all the time. Teaching, 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 rising up early and teaching them. Yet it says they have not listened to receive instruction. Well, they were there, but they turned their back on what they heard. And then if you'll look at chapter 35, look what it says there, beginning in verse 14. This is talking, this chapter talks about the Rechabites. But beginning in verse 14, it says, The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his son not to drink wine, are performed, for to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, speaking to Israel, Jerusalem, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets. So that speaks of many times, doesn't it? Rising up early, sending them, saying, 
Turn now everyone from his evil way. Amend your doings. Do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. That's simple enough. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. He says, surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me, God says. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I've spoken to them many times, but they have not heard. I've called to them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. So here... God's desire is for his people. He's pleading with them many times. He said, not just once, not just twice. Many times he sent the prophets telling them, all you have to do is turn back to me and you'll dwell in a land that all will be well. It said they refused to listen. So that's for all of us here, isn't it? How many times have we heard the word? And it's for all of us to, are we turning our back on what we've heard? Or are we obeying it? He's saying if you obey it, like the Rechabites, you'll be established. That's what he basically told them. There'll always be a man there because they were obedient, had an obedient heart. That's what he's telling. And so God's character is that he desires the salvation of all men. We've just read several places like that. So he warns and pleads and weeps through his prophets. And he told Israel, it's in the New Testament in Romans 10, 21, all day long have I stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people to where he finally ended up judging them. But that's not his heart. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, didn't he? God in the flesh. But the other principle, so that's one thing I think we see here in these verses 24 and 25 of Proverbs 1. The other principle I see in these two verses is this. If we're too busy for God or lightly regard him and his words, he will judge us and not apologize. So the Hebrew word for refuse in verse 24, it doesn't just mean to ignore. It's worse than that. It means to let go, to let alone, to disregard. It's, it's as if God has set his way before you and says, this is the way I want you to walk. And you're like, nope, I'm not going that way. I'm going my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. That's what refusing means. I'm not going. I'm going to let go. And you're saying to go this way. I'm not. I'm going this way. That's what he's talking about there. Do my own thing. And so as a result, you get verses 25 through 28. It says, because you disdained all my counsel with none of my rebuke, God says, I'll also laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your terror comes. And when your terror comes like a storm, your destruction comes like a whirlwind, like a tornado. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me. I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. And I'm saying those are some very sobering words, I think. They are for me. So those that ignore God's pleas, turn their back on his ways, despise his word, will one day have a day of reckoning. 
Some it will be in this life and some it will be in the next life. But the fact of the matter is, it's certain it will happen. So Matthew Henry said this about these verses. Now God pities their folly, but he will then let now. He's saying now, at this time, God pities their folly, but he will then laugh at their calamity. I also will laugh at your distress, even, God says, as you laughed at my counsel. Henry says, those that ridicule religion will thereby but make themselves ridiculous before all the world. It intimates that they shall be forever shut out of God's compassion. They have so long sinned it away. His eyes shall not spare, neither will he have pity, nay, his justice being glorified in their ruin, he will be pleased with it. That's why it says he will laugh and mock. Not that he's glad about somebody's calamity, but he's saying, look, evil is not going to triumph over righteousness. And so he says he will be pleased with it, though now he would rather that they should turn and live. I mean, we got to face up to where this is just the reality of it, isn't it? I mean, you turn your back on God. Anyone turns their back on God and goes another way, refuses to obey his word. There's going to be a day of reckoning if they don't repent. It's the way it is. So you're thinking, you know, that never happened to me. I'm secure in Jesus. <laughs> well, we're warned in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, that even all of Israel, it said, they were delivered out of Egypt. All of them were baptized into the Red Sea. Yet, it said, afterward, they lusted after evil things. Some became idolaters. Some fell into sexual sins. And some complained about their circumstances. And it says God destroyed them. 1 Corinthians 10. God destroyed them. So Paul says, in light of all of that, now he's writing this to Christians, and Paul believed in eternal security, but he said, in light of all of what I just said, Paul told him, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because Nobody ever thinks they will be the one shut out. Do you? Do you think you might be that one? Nobody thinks they're going to be the one shut out. These people in Proverbs never thought they would be the ones. Because if you're still in Proverbs, in verse 32, it says, The complacency of fools will destroy them. And complacency means the quietness, the ease, the prosperity they enjoy. Everything seemed to be going great with them. They would sing Jesus. I work for a lady, riches could be, didn't know the Lord at all, and she would walk around the house singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I'm thinking, man, I hope you really do know Jesus, but I don't think you do. But she was very complacent, thought everything was fine. And that's the way these people think. And we're also warned, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We're also warned in Hebrews 2, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now that's a very sobering warning. We need to give heed, the more earnest heed, the things we have heard, lest they slip away. And actually the word is, we drift away. Like if you are out, you know, you notice people that go out in the ocean and you're on the beach and they just keep, they don't even realize they're doing it. Next thing you know, they're getting so far away, you can't hardly see them. That's what he's talking about there. And he goes on to say, for how shall we escape if we neglect 
so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and which was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How shall we escape, he's saying, if we neglect so great a salvation? Neglect it. So what happens, and we're getting back to you need to hear the word to keep yourself in line. What happens when you neglect something? That house that Aaron took over. That place was neglected so long, and that's what happens. Vines start growing in, animals. You know, it takes work, doesn't it, yeah. to keep things up, to keep yourself in, in, in tune spiritually? It doesn't just happen autom- automatically or by osmosis, does it? And that's what we're kind of hearing here. This warning is saying we need to be careful that we're not neglecting the words of the Lord, not despising His words, not turning our back on His counsel. Like I said, everybody thinks it's not going to be them. So the picture we have here... In this chapter is someone that is going through life and doesn't see any great need to put God first in their life because everything is going fine. And they'll laugh at people, and I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen here. They'll laugh at people that they think are taking their Christianity too seriously. I've had that happen more than once here. And I've been here 30-some years, so you have no idea who I'm talking about. It's like, who wants to get that spiritual? Who needs to be that spiritual, so to speak? Now, here's what's going to happen to people that have that type of attitude. They're going to have a sudden change. These gullible people, the the scorners, the fools, they're going to have a sudden change in their outlook from complacency and this subtle rebellion. And what it's saying here is you're, you're thinking everything's okay. You're drifting along. No big deal. Who needs to get that serious? And all of a sudden it's saying you're going to be faced with sheer terror. That's what it's saying. <laughs> I ran across this poem that I thought was good. No one laughs at God in a war. We're talking about somebody kind of tends to laugh at God. That's what he's saying. They don't take him seriously. He says, no one laughs at God in a war. No one's laughing at God when they're starving or freezing or so very poor. No one's laughing at God when it's gotten real late and their kid's not back from the party yet. No one laughs at God when the airplane starts to uncontrollably shake. No one's laughing at God when they see the one they love hand in hand with someone else and they hope they're mistaken. No one laughs at God when the cops knock on their door and they say, we got some bad news, sir. No one's laughing at God when there's a famine or fire or flood. No one laughs at God on the day they realize that the last sight they'll ever see is a pair of hateful eyes. No one's laughing at God when they're saying their goodbyes. And that's the truth, isn't it? Well, you get down to the end or you get in a tight spot and God means everything to you then, doesn't he? And all the time you wasted, all the things you could have done, all the complacency you've had, it just makes you think, wow, God have mercy on me. And many times he does, doesn't he? So now is the time to turn to the Lord and tell him, I'm not laughing at you at all. I'm listening I'm listening to you, and I'm turning to you with my whole heart. And he's saying through this, if you'll do that, the promise is in verse 23. Turn at my rebuke. God says, surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known unto you. So you hear this repeatedly in things I read, current things that we're living in the age of the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church serious but not too serious and jesus told that church as many as i love i rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous boiling over and repent he said behold i stand at the door and knock 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he says, I'll come to him, dine with him, and he with me. Isn't that really basically what we're reading here in verse 23? I think it's basically saying the same thing, isn't it? If you'll repent and turn and be zealous for him, he'll pour out his spirit upon us. But for those that turn not towards the Lord, but away from him, from his call, his outstretched hands, his counsel, his rebuke, they are promised what we have here in verse 27, the perfect storm. When your terror comes like a storm, your destruction comes like a whirlwind. And when distress and anguish come upon you. Once again, Matthew Henry said on this verse, now. He says, God is ready to hear their prayers and to meet them with mercy if they would but seek him for it. He says, but then the door will be shut and they'll be crying out in vain. And that's verse 28. They'll call on me, he says, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, it says, but they will not find me. And what does that tell us? That tells us that wisdom and salvation is not at our disposal. If we reject it, neglect it, or worse, despise it, it might not be there when we most desperately need it. So this guy, Dale Davis, read several of his books, and he was talking about this thing that happened, I think makes the point. He was in his second year of seminary. And he said he remembers hearing a conversation between a classmate of his and a professor out in the hallway. And he's like, he couldn't help it. He said he caught up with the prof in the hall after class and the hall was crowded. I couldn't get away. So he's saying he basically eavesdropped in on this conversation, even though he didn't intend to. And he said, here's what was going on. The student's talking to the professor. He wants to make up a test. He'd been absent on the test day. The professor asked him why. Well, he wasn't in class. I wasn't in class. The professor says, why not? Well, I don't usually come to class. The professor says, why not? Well, I don't think it's that important. And Dale Davis is listening to this. He's saying, I couldn't believe he said that to the prof, no less, the professor. He says, and I could understand it if the professor was boring or incompetent, but he said, this guy was neither one. <laughs> he was a really good professor. And he said, I remember the prof's initial comment. The professor told him, this makes me angry. And Dale Davis is like, angry? Rightly so. And here's the thing. The student had the gall to tell him that in his estimation, what the prof did in class was not important. He clearly despised the prof. But in the same breath, he's asking for a favor to avoid flunking the class. And the point is, that's what a lot of people are going to be doing, aren't they? And still do. They, I mean, man, how can you be so busy with your life when you're in a desperate situation that you don't give time to God? Yeah. You ignore him, and, 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 and it finally reaches a point, to, and then you're crying out for help. It's like, hey, what were you doing? How busy could you be? You know? How many times do we get our priorities upside down, and then we get in a tight situation, and that happens that quick a lot of times, doesn't it? And God, like I said, God's merciful so many times to us. That there's going to be a time for some that it's just like, hey, you're asking a favor for me, but where were you back then when I was calling you, wanting to meet with you, speaking to you, giving you time, gave you plenty of time to get ready for this storm that's coming. And sometimes it's not just a matter of that. Sometimes God judges people by giving them what they want. Look what it says in verses 29 and 31. He says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord 
and they would have none of my counsel, despise my every rebuke. Therefore, God says, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. Now, that's a tough one, too, isn't it? So you think about Numbers 11, the people complained that they needed meat to eat because manna, which was angel's food, wasn't good enough for them. And they said this, they said to Moses, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now they said our whole being is dried up. And do you think that was really true? I don't think so. I think manna would have more than sustained them and I'm sure it tasted great. But they said our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. They're like, this is all before our eyes. We have to eat. And God wasn't too happy with that complaint. He told Moses, he says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to get all the people together. And when you get them together, I want you to tell them that this is what I say. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who shall give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat and you shall eat not one day nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days. The Lord told him, you're going to eat meat for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you've despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? Wow, that's pretty strong, isn't it? So he's saying, I'm going to let you, I'll give you what you want. I'll give it to you to the point it's coming out your nose. Because you, you don't like what I'm doing for you out here, the Lord says. You're complaining and murmuring. And that's what's happening. They're wishing they could go back to the world. And that's happening big time now. All of the things that we praise God for that we've been delivered out of. What's happening financially, divine healing, guns, entertainment, music, you name it. People to me are saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? Why did we ever come out of Egypt? Are you going to destroy us out here and our kids? Is that why he brought us out here? Is that what God's doing to us? That's not what I think. And God says, all right, well, then I'll give you what you want and see if it satisfies you. Or many young people think that a life free from the bondage of their parents and church would be their freedom and happiness. We don't want any of the restrictions of the church the word of God, we want to enjoy the world. And God may say to you, all right, go ahead, you get your fill. And then you might, at one point, you might understand what happened to the prodigal son. It's just there's no guarantee that you're going to make it back from the far country. There isn't. <laughs> we need to realize that. 29, therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. So this female columnist, I found this too, wrote this. She wrote this. She goes, I pity. So people think this is what they want, such a strong desire. And God says, okay, I'll give it to you. See if it makes you happy. And she said this, I pity celebrities. No, I do. The minute a person becomes a celebrity is the same minute he or she becomes a monster. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Barbara Streisand were once perfectly pleasant human beings with whom you might lunch on a slow Tuesday afternoon, but now they have become supreme beings and their wrath is awful. It's not what they had in mind. The night each of them became famous, they wanted to shriek with relief. 
finally. Now they were adored, invincible, magic. The morning after the night each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose of barbiturates. All their fantasies had been realized, yet the reality was still the same. If they were miserable before, they were twice as miserable now because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and ha-ha happiness, had happened and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. So a lot of times the things we think we want and we strive after and God says, all right, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you all you want and then some. And then you find out that didn't work. (laughs) Right? Happens a lot of times. That brings us to the third point here. And that is wisdom's end in verses 32 and 33. It says, for the turning away of the simple will slay them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, he says, will dwell safely and will be secure without the fear of evil. evil. So the gullible and fools that refuse to listen to the Lord have a terrible end. That's what he's saying here. And the simple, they're glad to run away from the Lord now. That's the whole point. They're proud. They can throw off his restraints, the restraints of God's wisdom and love. But one day they will be sorry. That's the message that's here. And so the security and prosperity, that's what it means by complacency of fools. It's a false security, isn't it? Because it's one day going to destroy them and their wisdom is a false wisdom. And here's the thing. It doesn't mean it's somebody out of the church. It could be someone within the church, couldn't it? Isn't that what Jesus said that many times in the New Testament? They could have sat under great preaching, heard the words of Jesus. But in the end, if you don't put it into practice, you'd been better off not to hear it. To just be a hearer and not a doer, it says what in James? You deceive yourself. And Jesus said, we've talked about this before, but we'll repeat it again. Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine, they heard them, sat and heard his teaching, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, the rain descended, the floods came. Isn't that what we're reading here in verse 27? The storm that comes, the perfect storm. Rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell. And Jesus says, great was its fall. And so that's the importance of what we're talking about here is that's this whole chapter, isn't it? Putting the words into practice that he's saying, turn to him. And God says, I'll pour out my words. I'll pour out my spirit. That's what he says he'll do. And that's the end of those in verse 33. They'll dwell in safety and true security. Whoever listens to me, God says, will dwell safely and will be secure without the fear of evil. And so, listen, everybody in this room, without exception, can fall into the whoever or the whosoever category, right? That's, that's really not the problem. The hard part is the part where it says, whoever listens to me. Because, let's be honest, it's not that easy to listen to Christ, is it? To listen to the Word. Because the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom of the Bible, the wisdom of the New Testament, it's Not that easy to listen and obey it, is it? It's really not. And so 
We know that if we will truly follow the Bible, what it teaches, what it's going to happen, we're going to look like fools, aren't we, in the eyes of the world. We are. That's why I'm saying it's not as easy as just saying, I'll just do what I say, turn to me, I'll pour out my words. Because there's a cost involved, isn't there? (laughs) You know, good and well, you live your Christianity like it's presented in the Word of God. You are going to be a total fool in the eyes of the world. That's just the way it is. Paul said this, though, in 1 Corinthians 3.18. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age or in this world, he says, you better become a fool. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, the worldly wise. And it says, and they are futile. So it's a hard thing. I mean, the invitation is there, right? And Jesus says his burden is light and you'll have peace. But that doesn't make it easy, does it? In a sense, it's not easy at all. Because who wants to be a fool in anyone's eyes and especially the eyes of the world and sometimes even people at church? So here's what we need to say. Let's just determine each of us in conclusion that we will not be those that turn away. We won't be those, verse 32, for the turning away of the simple. We'll not be those that turn away, but we'll be the ones of verse 33 that listen. Follow the Lord. As we've talked about the Lord is my shepherd in John 10, follow the Lord and his sheep. Listen to his voice and follow him, whether it's your daily reading, the word spoken from preaching that you hear, however the Lord chooses to speak. Whatever we hear spoken, we will follow and obey. That has got to be our heart. And that is the question. Are we going to be that person, he's talking here, that fears the Lord and grows in wisdom? Because then you don't have to live in fear. The world does. They live in fear, but in safety and security. Because their complacency, their prosperity, their ease, it's false and temporal and it's going to be blown up one day one way or another isn't it but it says this and we'll close with this verse psalm 25 verses 12 to 13 it says this who is the man or woman who fears the lord him shall he teach in the way he chooses he himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth now that's a promise to us and our children that's a good promise Psalm 25, 12 to 13. Amen? So let's heed the warning. Let's be in awe of the God of the Bible. Amen? He's, he's not someone to mess with. And so, but yet, He loves us, but He's not someone to mess with. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You once again for the words You've given us, Lord. And uh, I ask that You have all of us here, Lord. You'll give us hearts to turn to You and obey, ears to hear, and to put into practice what You say, Lord, that we can be that wise man that built his house on a rock, that when the storm comes, Lord, that violent wind, the violent storm, that our house will stand because it was built on a rock. And I just ask you, Lord, that if anyone here is foolish, a scorner, or just gullible, that you'll, by your Spirit, cause them to turn to you, Lord. That's our prayer. And that they can come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and have that blood wash away their conscience, wash away the sin. Give them a clear conscience, and I just ask you that you'll do that, Lord, and make your words effective in Jesus' name. Amen.